0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth Podcast. I'm Evan Eich and he's Cody Clark. Hopefully everyone had a great Valentine's Day. Uh, Cody, we had NBA All-Star Game Saturday night last night. Uh, Bam Adebayo won the skills competition. We had a controversial finish to the dunk contest and then Buddy Heald walked away with the three-point championship at the buzzer. What was your favorite part of NBA All Star Saturday Night?
1: Uh, I guess one of my favorite parts is the fact that you had two big men in the skills competition, and Devonta Sabonis and Bam Adebayo. So I think that is uh, that was something that I enjoy. I mean, obviously the dunk contest because uh, as a Magic fan, uh, had Aaron Gordon competing in the dunk contest. So that was you know that was definitely the most exciting thing for me. But I, I really enjoyed watching.
0: Adebayo and Sabonis uh, go through that skills competition. My favorite part about like the Bam Adebayo part is I love those Miami Vice pastel inspired Miami heat jerseys. Like those are great. Those things are awesome to look at. If I was Miami, I'd be like, well, can we make these our regular uniforms? These things are really popular. I I try and make those my regular uniforms if I was the Miami Heat cuz those things are just amazing to look at.
1: Oh, I I mean, I would too. They're awesome. They do and they have the Vice Court, you know, when they change it out and do the the Vice themed court with the jerseys. Oh, it's a great look. It's one of my one of my favorite alternate uh one of my favorite alternate jerseys in the uh, in the NBA.
0: Uh well, what's your second favorite uh alternate jersey look cuz I'm kind of partial to the purple rain Minnesota Timberwolves look
1: yes that one is that one is right there as well i'm trying to think of uh think of what yeah yeah that 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 minnesota the the minnesota purple rain one is i think the purple rain one's probably number one for me and then miami is number two uh but those two are right there i mean it's hard to argue either one of those because they're they're both really really good looks
0: yeah, Bam Adebayo won the skills competition, which I was sort of surprised about. I thought, I thought, uh, I thought my guy Gilgis Alexander was gonna get it, cause I, I was rooting for, I was rooting for Shay Gilgis Alexander, but you know, he uh, he didn't make it, and I was, uh, I was actually kind of disappointed that my guy didn't win. <laughs> yeah, well, it was just crazy that you had two big guys. I mean, you
1: know, the 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 skill of the guys in the league nowadays is ridiculous, because you know you've got. And granted, you don't have defenders and things in some of these situations, but still, I mean, for big guys to be able to run that, you know, run that course and and win
0: that event is, it's impressive. Yeah, it was also impressive was the NBA dunk contest. Uh, Pat Connaughton came out in the Woody Harrelson white men can't jump outfit, which I thought was really, was was a really funny, interesting touch. And then we had the Dwight Howard Superman tribute to Kobe Bryant, which I thought was touching, but the thing that has everybody talking was the ending of the NBA dunk contest. Cody, you used to work for the Orlando magic. So you spent time with Aaron Gordon. Did your boy get robbed? Oh, I
1: think he got, he got robbed for, he got robbed for a second time and now we're never going to see him in the dunk contest again. Look, Derek Jones jr. Has absurd hop and uh, some absurd hops and, and he had some really, really good dunks. But the fact that, they basically went to double overtime and then Aaron Gordon, uh, I, I I saw a tweet. I think it was John Hollinger. And this was, this summed it up like really, really well. I thought the world record high jump is almost eight feet. It's like seven, 11 and like three quarters or something close to that. And, And that's done, you know, on a, on a track in spikes and you've got the, the high, the high jump bar and everything. Aaron Gordon, jumped over a guy that's seven foot five seven foot six uh he measured i think seven seven in shoes but let's just say you know he jumped over a guy that's seven feet six inches tall he did it in a pair of basketball shoes with a limited run-up and he grabbed a basketball as he jumped over him and dunked it like i i don't understand how that's i mean that's got to be the winner derrick jones jr had some really really nice dunks but the fact that Gordon did that on his, I believe, like
0: sixth dunk attempt. That's just,
1: I mean, that's just absurd.
0: Yeah, I, I, I especially liked the one where he caught the ball with one hand, did like that 360, and then just and then just yammed it. Like it was, like this was a pretty exciting dunk contest. And every once in a while, like a dunk contest comes along where it reminds you of why we have it but then there are other years where it's like oh the, the you can't, there's nothing new in the dunk contest anymore like you can't it's it, everything's been done you can't make it interesting well Derek jones junior and aaron gordon made it interesting last night
1: oh they 100% made it interesting and yeah no you're right i mean it, it's one of those things where you know you we we want to see the you know there's so many guys that are so athletic in the league but we want to see the big name guys you know dunking in the dunk contest and the fact that you got Gordon again and you had you know Dwight Howard and you you know those are the guys that you know the casual fans I think want to see in these dunk contests you know not to take anything away from the Pat Connaughton's or the 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 Derrick Jones Jr.'s or or the, you know those the guys that have competed in the past that maybe casual fans aren't as aware of but I mean, the you know the casual fan wants to see these stars dunking in the dunk contest. And uh, my guy, uh, my guy, AG got robbed again. But you know what can you do? He put on a show. They put on a show, and uh, the uh, judges went for uh, Derek Jones Jr. So he took home the crown.
0: Yeah, it, it, a controversial finish to the dunk contest. Uh, according to one of the judges, it was supposed to be a tie, but someone uh, someone messed up the scorecards, and Derek Jones won by. Won by a point, and uh, people on Twitter were not happy that Aaron Gordon did not win. I I thought it was be like, well, you. I wanted to to be a co champion thing, but they don't have two trophies, so I don't know how that was gonna work. Uh, somebody had to win, and that somebody just wound up being Derek Jones Jr. On the three point contest side of things, Buddy healed. Took down Devin Booker in the finals. He did it at the buzzer. Uh, Damian Lillard had a groin injury uh, earlier in the week, forcing him out of the All-Star game. That meant Devin Booker got to slide in and take his place. Are you disappointed? Okay, uh, two questions. One, what were your thoughts on the three-point contest, specifically the Mountain Dew Ball edition? And two, are you disappointed that we're not going to see Damian Lillard in this year's All-Star game?
1: Yes, I'm really bummed that Dame is hurt and not going to be able to play in the All-Star game. Uh, I, I think he, you know, he's one of the premier players in the league. I th- he's so fun to watch because he has that similar Steph Curry mindset in the respect that there's really no shot that he's not willing to take. Uh, he's willing to take them in big moments he knocks them down i think he's like lee i think he leads the league in and field goal percentage from 3 on those shot on those three pointers that are like you know 33 34 35 feet from the hoop uh, he pulls up from anywhere and he can knock them down so he's a really exciting player to watch and uh, i've always enjoyed watching lillard play i think he plays with a chip on his shoulder and and he's one of the one of the premier scorers in the NBA. So definitely bummed that he's not going to be able to get out there. But then, you know, on the flip side, I am excited that Devin Booker get, you know, got the nod because I feel like it's, it was, it was time for him uh, to get an all-star nod. You know, I I know that, I know that, you know, some of the other guys and some of the other teams were, were voted in in uh, different things but you know we've had players on bad teams get into the all-star game and the fact that Devin Booker had not gotten in uh, being in that same boat on a bad uh, suns team I thought was uh, was uh, a little bit of a travesty so you know albeit an injury replacement but now he makes an all-star team I think that's uh, I think that's fitting for you know what he's done with his game and where he's at <laughs> In the you know in the in the hierarchy of NBA players, I mean he's right there in that top you know that top 10 to, uh, twenty range. Uh, I think he's right there in terms of his ability to score the ball. So I uh, uh, you know bummed that Lillard isn't there. Uh, excited that Booker is, and that three point contest was a lot of fun to watch. As as a guy who when you play pickup basketball just runs around and shoots threes as well, uh, that's always one of my Always one of my more exciting things to watch is the three-point contest. And Booker put up a, a 26 uh, to, you know, to set the standard there. And then Heald, uh, then Heald matched him and then got him by one. I think Heald went four for five on that final rack. But, you know, it's it, that's really, really difficult for Heald because, you know, Booker throws up a 26, and that is a really solid score. And the fact that Heald had to go, you know, four for five or better – to beat him on that final rack, and he did so. Uh, was uh, was uh, was was pretty cool to see Buddy Heald. You know, Heald is healed is is quietly. You know, he's out in Sacramento, but he has quietly become uh, one of the more one of the most reliable three point shooters in the NBA. And he is he is really filling it up from three out there in Sacramento. So I think it was good for just you know some of the casual fans to. To get some exposure to him because, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns guys, the, the Kings guys, you know, we don't always nec- necessarily pay attention to a lot of those guys on the West Coast. We, we just don't hear about them as much. You know, the games are later and that kind of stuff. But Heald has been really, really good since entering the league, particularly at knocking down threes. And so it was pretty cool for casual fans to, you know, if you weren't aware of who Buddy Heald was to get exposed to what he could do, because he has been a very prolific three point shooter.
0: And and that's one of the things about the NBA All-Star Weekend that I find the most satisfying is that there are some guys that because of where they play, you don't really get to see them on TV all that much. And you're sort of introduced or reintroduced to some guys like, oh, yeah, I remember Buddy Healed when he was at Oklahoma. OK, this is what he's doing now. You know, having the opportunity to see those guys is part of what makes All-Star Saturday night a really exciting, interesting time, because it's, it's, it's a time for guys to just sort of let loose and just sort of be themselves in these in these skills competitions and the night before that, we had the USA versus the World game. Miles Bridges won MVP, and we got to see Zion and John Morant be teammates for a little while. And man, that was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, looking at the USA versus the World game, what was your favorite part of that? Of that,
1: uh, I, I I loved the I loved at the end when Zion and, and we were on the bus, so we caught you know kind of towards the end of that game, but. Uh, I loved when Zion was trying to do all those dunks at the end. You know, everyone, everyone just was like, all right, this is what fans want to see is Zion dunk a basketball. So we're just going to kind of get out of the way and toss him the ball and see what he can do. And ultimately he had a, a few attempts come up short, but uh, you know, he had the, he had the one, I think earlier in the night where he, he didn't bring down a goal, but he, he slanted the goal. Uh, he, he kind of knocked it off. It's knocked it off his hinge, I guess, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, Zion's performance, you know, I, I think Ja Morant, those two guys are just so exciting uh, to watch that, you know, it was, it was really cool to see them going after it and them uh, taking care of business and playing because, you know, we, we didn't get a lot of Zion in the, you know, in the regular season because he was out. And so uh, we, have, we have gotten the exposure to Ja Morant. Morant has his team in the playoffs right now. Uh, in, in the a seed in the West and so we've seen what John Morant has but we just haven't seen as much of what uh, of what Zion has because he's coming back from the injury and so that's uh, you know it's, it's fun to see Zion getting back to himself you know I think he scored 31 the other night he's I think hitting his stride after coming back from his injury so fun to watch both of those guys I thought Brendan Clark was fun to watch you know I think it, it's it was wild to see the Hornets have, I think, three guys with uh, Graham and uh, Bridges, PJ Washington. So that was pretty cool that, you know, they're such a young team and they have uh, a lot of young talent. So I always like that game because, you, you know, you're kind of seeing the the next group of guys. You know, you've got we, we've got some some stars that are, you know, on the back nine of their career aging out just a little bit. And so this 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 game always gives you the chance to, you know, look at the, the John Morant's and the Zion's and the Lucas And, you know, those guys, uh, those guys are only in their, you know, first, second, uh, first, second years. And so it's, it's impressive to see those guys and you get a look at who is going to be that next crop of uh, stars in the NBA.
0: And if that USA versus the world game gives us any indication, then, the NBA is in tremendous hands going into the 2020s with guys like Trey Young, John Morant, Zion. You know, you know the NBA looks to be in great hands if uh, those guys continue on the trajectory that they are on right now. Uh, one final basketball thing before we get into the Houston Astros stuff and uh, get your thoughts on the XFL. Um, I don't know if this is an unreasonable opinion, but I'm just going to say it out loud and I'd and I'm just going to take however you react to it. I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA right now. Is that wrong of me to think that Giannis is the best player?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, his, his athleticism, his ability to get downhill, get to the rim. He is improving that outside shot. I mean, he, he is really, really, really difficult to handle, uh, You know, I think when you get in a playoff situation, Milwaukee doesn't have a ton of guys that that really scare you. So teams will really gear up for Giannis. They will really, uh, you know, throw the book at him in terms of defensively, be physical with him. Uh, But, no, I mean, what Giannis can do, his ability to finish inside, his length, his athleticism, uh, you know, he could bring the ball up the floor. He's like I said, he's improving from shooting from long range. So no, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's wrong. I mean, what LeBron is doing is still ridiculous. Uh, he still gets the nod for me just because of his ability to continue to evolve himself, uh, passing the ball, uh, his assists at an absurd clip this year. I, I, I still give the edge to LeBron, but uh, it is absolutely not, you know, wrong or, or anything to say Giannis is there because I mean he's the reigning MVP. Uh, he's got a chance to win it again, and his skill set has
0: Milwaukee set up to be the uh, number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Speaking of MVP, the All-Star Game MVP was renamed to the Kobe Bryant MVP Award, which I thought was an an awesome touch. Adam Silver, during his media availability, showed the new trophy and explained why they were naming it after Kobe. And also, Giannis is the favorite to be All-Star Game MVP tonight. He is at plus 450. The odds are plus 450 Giannis to be MVP, LeBron is plus 500, Anthony Davis is plus 550, and everybody else is ten to one or worse, with the longest odds at a hundred to one being DeMontis Sabonis to be MVP of the All-Star Game, which is Team LeBron versus Team Giannis, and that is going on tonight at seven o'clock Central Time. Remember, it's not the usual All-Star game where they play full four quarters. They broke it up a little bit and it looks a little bit more like pick up schoolyard basketball, so I'm not quite sure how the MVP system's going to work because it's not a usual game, but it'll be interesting to watch, and I think that if this format goes well, then we might have settled on an interesting, unique All-Star format. Uh, I, I hope that this All-Star game format goes well. I don't know how they're going to do the MVP for it, but, you know, I'm just I'm just being hopeful.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it'll go well. You know, I think any time <laughs> you're... you're you're one doing the you know doing the stuff for charity and you talked about the the Kobe Bryant uh, MVP award for the All-Star game. I think it's going to go well. I, you know, I think it's more I kind of like it just because you know, I think it's a little not competitive's not the right word, but you have these games, these basically these mini games instead of this, you know, one running you know, 192 to 187, you know, you're going to get that same action. You're going to get, get that same uh, highlight stuff, but you're just going to get it in little mini games for one quarter at a time. So I, I kind of like the format. I guess we'll
0: see, uh, we'll see how it pans out. The 2020 NBA all-star game team LeBron versus team Giannis. That's at seven o'clock central time tonight. Uh, Cody, last week was week one of the XFL, and then we had a couple of games on Saturday. The DC Defenders shut out the New York Guardians twenty-seven to nothing, and the Seattle Dragons had thirty thousand at their home opener at uh, CenturyLink in Seattle. They beat the Tampa Bay Vipers seventeen to nine. Now that we're halfway through the second week of the XFL. Uh, what do you like, what do you don't like, and uh, what what would you say are your feelings towards uh, the second incarnation of the XFL?
1: I love what the XFL is doing. My favorite thing is the different rules. Uh, the, you know, the kickoffs and your ability to score different, you know, your ability to score varied levels of points, you know, in lieu of just lining up to kick an extra point, you know, you have those different levels, you know, you can get, you can, you know, you can have an 18 point game, I think, and it's, you know, still a two possession game. So I love the fact that they're experimenting with all of these different rules uh, and they're doing all of those sorts of things. I think that's my favorite thing, just because I'm not one of, I'm not, and I know this is, you know, the XFL, it, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, not like the NFL or anything like that, but I'm always a fan of leagues evolving and doing things differently. I think that I, I'm not really a traditionalist in terms of, you know, for baseball, you know, I'm all for the automated strike zone. You know, I, I think these leagues, be, beca- you know, they are entertainment, uh, the, you know, they are entertainment. And so you've always got to continue to find ways to, to generate interest and buzz about your sport. And so I'm not one of those guys that says, Oh, this is, you know, the game that's all the, this is how the game's always been played. We need to do this. I'm always in favor of that evolution. And so that's why I like the XFL is you're seeing some different things that, you know, maybe down the road, some of them are, some of them are maybe a little wild, but you're seeing some things that maybe could potentially down the road, you know, be some sort of variance and move into the NFL. So I, I think the rules is my favorite part just because you have all of those different caveats for that. Uh, The, the play of Cardell Jones, I think has been a lot of fun to watch. He has showed why, you know, he, uh, he had, he'd won that starting job at Ohio state and put up those great numbers for the Buckeyes. You know, he's playing well enough uh, for, he's playing well enough that, you know, he, he could get, you know, he might get a look as a, uh, a backup, uh, you know, in the NFL. And I think for the XFL, that's, you know, that's what you want. You want some of these guys, you know, you want good quarterback play and you want some of these guys to be able to get a look at uh, either getting into the NFL for the first time, getting back into in, into the NFL uh, if they've been there, you know, previously and then trying to work their way back to the, the National Football League. So I think that's what you want. You want to see these guys play well and you want to see a lot of them have a chance to jump to the NFL. I think that's what the league wants. And so to see a lot of guys playing well early, particularly Cardell Jones, who has been really, really fun to watch and the double forward pass, uh, I think is, uh, is, is pretty cool. But, um, but, but that's, I think what you want to see. And that's, what's exciting is you're seeing a lot of these guys, I think they're going to be able to play their way into getting a look to get into or back into the NFL, and I think that's ultimately what the uh, what the XFL wants. You want to be entertaining, and you want to be able to send guys to the NFL because then you generate that interest of, hey, you know, you're wa- you you're potentially watching some of uh, some of the guys that could be you know jumping up to the NFL. So, uh, you know, I think that's fun to watch for me is just. You know, I think that's what the XFL needs to do be sort of like, you know, uh, a minor league type of farm system.
0: And so that's, uh, that's fun to watch. My favorite things about the XFL is one, the kickoff is interesting and it's creative. Uh, I, I'd not, I didn't, at first I thought like, okay, this looks kind of weird. But then the more I think about it, like, you know, it's actually a really good idea of you put, the, kick, the kicker's all by himself, and the ball has to cross a 20, and the guys are five yards apart, so there's no head-on, full-speed collisions. The The replay transparency is amazing, because there was a play in the Seattle game where they rule the pass as incomplete that was clearly a catch. They went to replay, and within 15 seconds, they're like, yep, he caught it, Down the down is this and they overturned it. There was no lawn drawn out where we got to watch the replay 15 times and super slow-mo. It was yep, okay, he caught it first down and it was it, they were in and out of the replay booth in about 15 seconds and it was and it was great. Uh the quarterback play has been somewhat hit and miss through six games. Nobody's thrown for 300 yards in a game and collectively the league-wide touchdown to interception ratio was 50-50. But I attribute that to these guys haven't had haven't spent a lot of time together. They're still trying to develop a relationship and chemistry, and like the, those are the kinds of things you can't really build on the fly when you have a new league. Because guys spend years together developing trust and habits, and just putting a new league together and expecting them to figure it out on the fly is. You know, is not the most reasonable task to to ask, but if there's one thing that the XFL could potentially work on would be I don't know, maybe uh maybe like the the sideline interviews get kind of excessive and after a while they could potentially go wrong because interviewing a guy after every play like sticking a microphone in a quarterback's face after he throws an interception or throws a pick six uh you know like that could that could go pretty badly if the guy's in a foul mood and he'll, and he'll forget he's on TV uh um, right uh you know i think that's like the one thing that they could clean up is that the sideline interviews feel somewhat excessive uh but the access is fun to watch and you know it's it's a good it's it's a good start. I, I didn't come into it expecting to see elite high quality NFL play. I treated this like I'm watching like an FCS or a D2 college game like I'm watching uh, to give you an example it's like I'm watching North Dakota play North Dakota State on ESPN plus like the FCS championship I I think if you walked into the XFL expecting to see you know, A 49ers, Saints, high-scoring type of game, you were bound to be disappointed. You kind of needed to come in with uh, tempered expectations and realize that it's going to look a little sloppy at first because these guys are still developing chemistry, but I think towards the end of the year it's going to get a lot sharper and a lot more crisp.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, it's tough to build that chemistry on the fly. You see, you know, quarterbacks and with teams in the NFL, you know, they've been there for an entire career. Drew Brees, you know, you look at Peyton Manning, you know, Tom Brady, those guys develop timing and mastery of the offense over the course of that time that, you know, they can, they anticipate what their other guys are doing and can, you know, they throw the ball before they even get out of breaks and those sorts of things. So I totally agree that I think we'll continue to see the, Quality of play increase just as these guys get, you know, time under their belt and get, uh, you know, playing time and play together. That's definitely something that is a good point. I think that you bring up is just because it's it's so tough to, to, all right. Here's a collection of guys. You know, you haven't really played together. You you know maybe you haven't maybe you haven't you know been playing a lot of consistent football. So now it's time to you know here you're a team. And, you know, we play on Sunday. So it's just like, you know, it's not quite like that. They have time to practice in different things. But at the same time, it's tough to build that chemistry. So I do think that there's a lot of good building blocks. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of room to grow as these teams continue to play games and get used to it. I 100% agree with you. I really enjoyed the transparency. But the the sideline interviews are a bit much for me, just from what I've seen uh, I like the fact that we can hear from guys live during a game about some of those things, but, you know, I think we could, I think we could, uh, I think we could pair
0: it back just a little bit with some of those. Especially when it comes to like the Matt McGloin stuff where we got to listen to his frustration and listen to him getting benched in real time, man, that was brutal. That was brutal. Yeah, no, that
1: that's tough. Cause normally, you know, that's, that's a process that we're not privy to, and so you know it is uh, is it was it was a little bit jarring to see to to be able to be let in on on that process. But you know, I ultimately think it's a good thing. I just, just think they need to you know kind of pick their spots and figure out where exactly some of that stuff fits best. Uh, but I but I do like the access, like you were talking about.
0: Yeah, it, it's. When, you, when you're a brand-new startup league like that, you sort of need to grab everybody's attention, and this is a good way to do it. Like, the kickoff generated buzz. You got good TV ratings. Seattle had a fantastic turnout for the Dragons game. You know, I, I think... I, I ho- I'm hopeful that the XFL is going to work, but the one question is... beyond, do they survive to year two? But what happens in year two when guys put tape out and let's say Cardale Jones, they let's say DC wins a title Cardale Jones is league MVP. And then next year he's like, you know, I'm going to go back to the NFL. And for example, I'm going to go stay local and be Dwayne Haskins backup for the Washington Redskins. So what happens then where the XFL is going to have to replace their reigning MVP and one of their biggest stars Because if the XFL is going to be a developmental league where guys are trying to get to the NFL, you're not going to be able to really hang on to your, you know, your marketable, transformative stars. And that's going to be the biggest hurdle for the league beyond can they survive to year number two. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a good point.
1: You know, the goal is for some of that to happen because you want guys to to you know to come play in the league and and be able to have that chance to move up i think that helps your league as sort of that farm system but at the same time you know we talk about it all the time in the nfl you know the quarterback play and the level of quarterback play is so important in the nfl you know if you have your franchise quarterback you can compete. If you're in between, you don't have that guy, you're not really relevant. And so, you know, how does the XFL go about continuing to keep the level of play at that position at a high level, especially, as you mentioned, maybe Cardell Jones gets hot, you know, he earns and earns a job in the NFL, whether it be a starter or a backup position, because, you know, he plays well, you know, who are you going to go get, do you explore trying to bring in college players? You know, Are you able to offer them you know, financial incentives instead of them staying in college to come out and play in the XFL? So I think it's going to be interesting. I think the league is definitely going to survive, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves because there's a lot of different nuances and things there that I think are going to be interesting to see how it plays out in terms of are they – Are they are they willing to and are they able to potentially draw some top college players? You know, are the are the players getting, uh, you know, are are a percentage of the players getting a chance to uh, move up and play in the NFL? Is the NFL, you know, looking at that league in terms of a viable option to get players? So I, I think the league has done well and I think it will stick around for a little bit but it will be interesting uh, to see how some of this pans out because those
0: things will ultimately affect the long-term viability, I think, of the XFL. And just for Vince McMahon, well, one, he's poured hundreds of millions of dollars of capital into this, so he is all in. So they're not going to be like the AAF where they just ran out of money and couldn't pay their bills. But also, Vince McMahon needed a, a great XFL week because his primary business, WWE, had a rough week. Uh, Right before their Q4 earnings call, the WWE let go of two top executives, and they missed almost all of their projected revenue forecasts outside of, like, the TV deals that they signed in the fall. Their stock price went down about 30-plus percent. Like, their stock price plummeted. Like, it was... Like, they needed... Like, he needed the XFL to have a good weekend, so... Like v- Vince McMahon had to fe- had to be feeling pretty good after he watched, you know, the WWE stock go down and having to field calls from investors saying, Hey, uh we missed uh we missed a lot of projected revenue targets. Uh what's going on here?
1: Yeah, no, that's uh that's interesting you bring that up. You know, I, I don't that's not uh I don't follow the WWE very much, but uh it is good to see that the XFL mm-hmm. is continuing to evolve because uh a 30% loss of your stock price
0: is uh, not a good thing. (laughs) Uh, No, no, it is not. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I follow it, uh, you know, not really obsessively, but, you know, casually every once in a while. And when you, when you saw like the stock price, but when they talked about, oh, they, they fired two top executives two days before the earnings call. And now the stock price is going down. The ratings are good. The ratings for SmackDown on Fox are going down. Like things, things in McMahon's primary business were not going well, so he needed the positive buzz that the XFL got for opening week after uh, after what uh, seemed to be a rough week with his primary business. Uh, moving on to the NFL, where we are, we are ready for the NFL Scouting Combine, and is there? Is there a team or a player that you are the most excited to figure out what they're gonna do draft-wise for the NFL for the NFL Scouting Combine? I think Justin Herbert is a
1: really really interesting player for me because I thought he had a great Rose Bowl showing, and I think that helped him. But he's one of those guys. You know, he, he's not he's not a he's not a He's not a big flamboyant guy. He's not much of a talker. He's more of a silent type, but I think he's got a lot of talent. Uh, He can use his legs. I think he's got a big arm as well. I think there's accuracy there. You know, how does he perform? Because, you know, we we look at some of these other guys, you know, that we know the buzz is there with the Trevor Lawrence. Everyone thinks he's going to be, you know, a can't miss guy when he comes out next year. I think Justin Herbert can be in that same in that same vein of guys. And so I'm really curious to see how he does and how he performs. Cause I, you know, I, I think it was, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, there were a lot of positive reports about him out of like the, I think the senior bowl or the, you know, the under armor game, uh, whichever one of those, I can't remember what they were talking about, but there's been a lot of positives about him. And he ended the year on a good note. I think he has all the physical tools, the size and that sort of thing. I'm very curious to see what NFL teams think of him because, you know, to a tongue of Iloa, all those guys, you know, Joe Burrow, those guys that are presumably going to be top five guys. I think Justin Herbert is right there in that class and could potentially uh, be the best quarterback to come out of this group of guys that we're seeing come out this year. So he, for me is, is really one of the most interesting guys because for some of the negatives out there about him, you know, I think the physical tools are there. And I think if you put him in the, you know, in the right
0: system uh, with the right head coach, he could really, really take off. I think he could. Uh, the most likely, the most logical landing spot for him is I see, I see a lot of Justin Herbert to the Chargers buzz because they're, they're move the Chargers are, are moving on from Phillip Rivers they're picking at number six. So they're almost certainly they they're almost certainly going to miss out on Tua and Joe Burrow. So now it's between do they like Herbert or the guy that I'm interested in watching is Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm made it to a college football playoff championship game while he was at Georgia. Of course, they lost to Alabama. I I'm interested to see what people think of Jake Fromm. He's 6'2, 220 was a starting quarterback at Georgia, good enough where uh, guys like Jacob Eason and Justin Fields had to transfer out because they couldn't beat out Jake Fromm. I'm interested to see what happens with him and where does he go. Uh, I I think he could go as early as Carolina taking him because if Carolina strikes out in free agency and and they need to replace Cam Newton... I can see them doing something like taking Jake Fromm with their with their first round pick, uh, you know. So he's going to be a guy that I'm watching. Is I, I'm not expecting you know Fromm to be like the greatest thing ever. Like you know, nobody looks at him and thinks that this guy is going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. But I think he could be a serviceable NFL guy. He's not gonna he's not gonna blow you away physically, but. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens, what happens with Fromm and are people, are people high on him or are they just going to say, you know, he was a Georgia, he had a lot of talent around him, but you know, there's not a lot there from an Armstrong. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I, I'm interested in him as well because I
1: think he has something really working in his favor is his accuracy and his ability to put the football in tight windows, I think his accuracy is something that teams will latch on to. Uh, and so you're right, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, not the biggest arm, but I think a good leader and an accurate quarterback. And, you know, we we when we look at guys coming into the NFL, you know, what often translates, you know, obviously you want guys that have the size and the intangibles and all that stuff, but, you know, what translates, you know, if you're an accurate quarterback, if you're a very accurate quarterback in college, you, you are going to move into the NFL and, you know, you might slip a little bit because the pace of the game is faster. The athletes are better, but ultimately that accuracy oftentimes carries over. If you're, you know, if you're a, a, if you're a 50% passer in college football, you're not all of a sudden going to make the jump to a, to a a 70% guy, or even maybe like a 65, 66% guy that takes a ton of work, but when you're already a, you know, a 60% passer, that's something I think that'll translate. And so he is another guy that's interesting because, you know, our, our team's going to lock in on him knowing that, you know, you're going to have a Burrow, a Tua, probably a Herbert off the board in the top six, seven picks. You know, where does a guy like from end up? Because there are still plenty of teams that are out there that are in need of a quarterback and willing to draft a quarterback.
0: It's usually it's universally agreed on that Tua and Burrow are going to go within the top five when the NFL draft rolls around. How many quarterbacks do you think are going to be in the first round? I'm gonna say four. It's gonna be Tua. It's gonna be Burrow. Tua Herbert, and then Fromm in that order. With Jacob Eason being taken in the second round. So I'm gonna take. I'm gonna say four first round quarterbacks this year. Ah, that's
1: a good call. I. I might go five, you know, I, I think someone, I think someone towards that back end, you know, may take a chance, uh, on, uh, on a Jacob Eason because, you know, and this is the interesting thing, Evan, when you look at those guys, you know, from is the, the six to the accurate quarterback, Eason is the, the bigger arm guy, the, the guy that's six foot six inches tall and i think teams fall in love with some of that size at the quarterback position so that's going to be that's going to be interesting to watch because you know where do some of these teams value each of these guys i i think that you're right i think it's more than likely going to be four quarterbacks in that first round but you know if if eason comes out and and does well you know has a good combine or, or you know has some some good uh, measurable numbers that teams kind of latch on to He's a guy that could jump into that first round. He could make himself uh, get up in that first round. So I do agree that I think it would be four, but I would not be surprised if Eason is a guy because of his size uh, that, you know, teams are like, hey, you know, we think this guy, we can mold him into our franchise quarterback.
0: I can see if he has a, if he has a tremendous pro day or – a great combine, somebody's going to look at Jacob Aeson and be like, whoa, like this guy, this guy's got something. And I think that we can turn, I mean, he, he, you know, physically he's 6'6", 225. You know, he looks, he looks like what an NFL quarterback is quote unquote supposed to look like traditionally. And I, I think all it takes is one team to look at him and say, I really like this guy and I think that we can do something with him and then he might get taken in like the late teens or, or something, you know, keep your eye on the Las Vegas Raiders. They've got a, they've got a they've got two first round picks. You know, they might, they might like what they see in, in a Jacob Eason and then take him in the first round. Uh, What, one last topic before we go, and it is the controversy that will not die. And that is the Houston Astros sign stealing scandal. (laughs) Uh, the, Astros owner, Jim Crane, came out, kind of apologized, and then he said, and the one thing that made everyone's ears perk up is that he said that he doesn't believe it impacted the game. They asked him about it, and then two minutes later he said, I never said that it didn't impact the game. Cody Bellinger uh, said that Jose Altuve is a cheat and stole the 2017 MVP award from Aaron Judge and that they, quote, everybody knows they stole a ring from us. Uh, Dusty Baker is 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 enlisting the help of Major League Baseball, uh, hopefully uh, trying to uh, you know prevent you know retaliatory retaliatory measures against the Houston Astros. I mean, my you know, and on the other side of the globe, uh, I'm not privy to soccer, so I don't really understand what this means. But Manchester City was fined 30 million euros and banned from the Champions League for two years over financial fair play rules. I'm not sure what that means, but you see one team where you see one league where guys are openly challenging the commissioner and, you know, calling out the Houston Astros while over in European soccer, the hammer just got dropped on Manchester City. But my question, Cody, is... I... I, What do these guys want like what exactly is the end game for these guys calling out Manfred and calling out the Astros because they're not stripping the title. They're not giving the rings and the world series trophy back. It happened. They've made their decision. I, I don't understand what the end game is here other than to just pile on the Astros. Yeah, I, I agree with you because you're, you're not going to see,
1: I mean, if, if those things were going to happen, you point out, they already would have happened. So they're not, you know, they're not vacating the title. You know, they're not. And and when they do those things, I think we've talked about it before, you know, they didn't give, you know, when they vacated USC's title because of Reggie Bush, you know, they didn't just, like, pass that down to the next guy. Like, that's not how it works. And so, you know, they would have already done that if they were going to do that. So we're not going to see that happen. With this whole thing, I just, for me, Me, you know, and it continues to have legs. It's going to continue to have legs because, uh, you know, you've got you've got spring training opening and these teams getting back uh, getting back into the swing of it and, and beginning to start the season. But I just, for me, I just get hung up on the fact that you really didn't have. I mean, this ultimately costs. You know, it cost AJ Hinch's job. We'll see if it keeps him out of baseball. I do think he'll be able to get back into baseball, but it's going to take a little while. So you, it costs him his job. It costs the general manager his job. And, you know, those are guys that drafted some of these players that were involved in this scandal. Those are guys that invested a lot of time in developing this, a lot of this young talent that is accused of cheating with the Houston Astros. And we really didn't see, especially right away you know, a lot of these guys come out and apologize. I mean, the evidence shows that this was going on. This was happening. Like, the guys were cheating. And the fact that, you know, nobody really came out and said, hey, look, you know, we messed up. We cost, you know, we cost a couple of guys, you know, their jobs. You know, I, I think MLB gave the players immunity because they wanted to know what was going on. The least they could do is, you know, come out and say, hey, you know, this was wrong. We messed up. Uh, you know, our coach got fired. Our GM got fired. You know, we feel awful for that. But, you know, they—they, they, it's kind of been a half-hearted apology. Uh, you know, we're sorry. You know, we, 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 we didn't try to do anything wrong, all of this stuff. You know, look, they, they cost Hinch's job. You cost some other guys their jobs in the organization. You cheated. So just, just, come, out and, just come out and own it. And I don't think that happened. Uh, I don't think that's happened to its fullest extent. And it didn't happen quickly. And that's kind of where I, I get hung up with all of this is you've just got to take the high road there and say, Hey, you know, look, we messed up. Uh, this wasn't right. You know, it's not going to happen again, but that really, we haven't really got that from those guys. And so that's where I think I get hung up with, uh, with the, this whole scenario.
0: Yeah. That's sort of, I, I don't understand what more you expect them to say. Cause it sounds like what, I don't think there was anything that anyone on the Astros player wise or organization wise could have possibly said that would have made everyone say, you know what? I'm over it. And I forgive these guys. Like it it seems like everybody's mind was made up. They've decided that they were, that they've decided that these guys were cheaters and that the world series was tainted. And I don't think there was anything that anyone in that organization could have possibly said that would have made people say, you know what? I see their point, and we should uh, we should uh, forgive and forget and move on. Like that—that that was never going to happen. That was a non-starter. But right, but I, but you yeah. could at least, but at least if a player comes
1: out and and immediately after you are apologetic and those sorts of things, it does become easier to say, okay, you know, they cheated. Those sorts of things. I get all that, but at the same time, if you're a, a player that was involved you can't wait, you can't wait a month and come out in a pot. Like that's something that needs to be taken care of right away. I agree. The mind's made up, you know, it happened. Everyone's dug in on it, but there is a, there is a, a sense that it would be a little bit better if you had those guys come out directly right away and talk about it and, and apologize for it rather than still kind of shrouding and waiting and, and And playing that game. So no, I totally agree. I mean, it's not, you know, it wasn't going to go away. That wasn't going to make it better, but that was going, that I think is something that we should have gotten from those players that, that, that didn't happen.
0: And they're walking into a lose lose situation of if the season starts and they struggle, then everyone's going to say, see, see, I told you it was all because of the sign stealing. They couldn't win on their own because they're cheaters." And if they're and if they keep winning, like and if they keep winning, then it's like, well, they're still cheating. They just found they just found new ways to cheat. Like they're still cheaters, you know. Sort of like the New England Patriots when they got caught with Spygate and DeflateGate, and the people who thought that the Patriots cheated during Spygate and DeflateGate didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? Maybe they're winning just because they're really good at what they do they're like not nah, not nah, they're cheaters. They're, once a cheater always a cheater. They just found new ways to they just found new ways to skirt the rules. So Houston's kind of in a lose-lose where if they're successful then the people who think they're cheaters are going to say, "Well, they just found new ways to do it." And then if they and if they stumble out of the gate, it's see see the only reason they won is because of the sign stealing and they can't play baseball on their own. So like they they're, they're walking into a massive lose-lose situation there.
1: Oh, they 100% are. You know, if they get out to a great start, they're still cheating. You know, they've, they 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 figured out signs a different way. If they come out and are awful, you know, like you said, they're not any good because they are a bunch of cheaters. So this thing's going to continue to have legs because it's, you know, as the Astros continue to play out the year, you're going to have those reactions that come up. So this thing is
0: uh, – it continues to hang around, and it's going to hang around for a while. Yeah, you know, the and, – and that is uh... – you know, baseball wanted to be uh, mainstream and more popular, but not like this. Correct, no, not, not like, like this, this, where they have like a where they just have a universal villain of everyone else out of Houston's. Like, you know what? Screw those guys. We hate them. Like this is this is not the sort of mainstream publicity that Major League Baseball that Major League Baseball wanted. And I I wonder how long the story like when we get into the thick of baseball season, are we still going to be talking about it? Maybe, maybe not, but. We'll have to see once the season rolls around. Uh, One quick thing before we go. Miles Garrett reinstated by the NFL. The six-game suspension is over. He reiterated the Mason Rudolph uh, racial slur uh, allegation, which he and Mike Tomlin said that was, quote, 1,000% false, and Mason Mason Rudolph's lawyer sort of implied that you know he could be found uh, liable in court if they decide to travel down the defamation route. You know, I'm glad to see Miles Garrett back, but it looks like this is a story that might not be going away anytime soon either.
1: No, it may not, but but I think now that the NFL is in its off season, you know, the Major League Baseball is just starting. And so now that Garrett gets reinstated, but now it's the off season. So I think that some of that steam will die off, whereas it's a little bit different with the Astros stuff because Major League Baseball is gearing up for the season. But, yeah, no, that's, you know, we're never going to know exactly what was said, I don't think. We're never going to know exactly what was exchanged that led to a bunch of that. It's just going to be a giant he said, she said, I think, unless, you know, there's audio that gets released at some point. Those guys are just going to continue to deny it. You know, he said this, they said that. That's what be, that's what started it, and we will probably never know exactly what was said uh, to to get that started.
0: Uh, no, I don't think we will. But I thought the uh, Miles Garrett Mina Kimes interview was an interesting was an interesting listen. I, I don't know if you saw that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I thought so too. I just the the fact that the fact that Garrett still. You know, hey, look, dude, it happened. You got suspended for six games. You're reinstated. Like, you know, I, I agree you know, you're you're still hung up on that because I agree, like it, if that was said, then that is not something that's okay. But at the same time, like, you know, it, it's it happened, it's over, you're back in the NFL, you're reinstated. At some point it does kind of have to die
0: down. And I think it will once we get into training once we get into training camp. Uh, you know once we get into training camp in the preseason and then you know how it goes we're just gonna put that right back in the microwave the the first time the Browns and Steelers play each other in, in twenty twenty. Uh will will Mason Rudolph be the quarterback? Uh probably probably not. Like we don't know what the status of Big Ben is, but if Mason Rudolph is still the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers the next time the Browns and the the next time the Browns and the Steelers uh, meet up uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting day in uh, in the NFL when that happens Cody uh you know hopefully you enjoyed your your Valentine's Day weekend and also congratulations to your delta State baseball team for uh, picking up the win for picking up the win yesterday
1: yeah split a do- split a double header to open up conference play so I'll try to try to finish out the uh, get the series win today and uh, hopefully uh, continue to, to keep that momentum rolling forward should be good
0: Yep. Uh, Delta State Baseball in Mississippi. Uh, we absolutely could not be playing baseball in Iowa because it is <laughs> it is snowing right now. I am watching the snow hit the ground from my window. So any hopes of playing baseball uh, right now, we would need to be in a dome because there is no way it would be happening today. Uh <laughs> Cody Clark, uh, thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us, uh, on another edition of the, from the booth podcast. Thank you to Tony Wynn for the podcast artwork and thank you to all of you who like and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Cody, is there anything that you'd like to say, uh, before, before we, uh, before we go? No, I don't think so. Just, yeah,
1: you know, reach out and get us on those platforms, you know, um, Apple, Apple podcast, Spotify. Uh, you can get us on i heart you can get us on tune in you know wherever you get your podcast wherever you consume your content we're there so we appreciate the viewership you know if you uh, enjoy what we're doing make sure you subscribe make sure you rate it and make sure you you know you
0: know you, te- you tell someone to uh, give us a listen yes uh, that'd be greatly appreciated and uh thank you to all of you that continue to listen and support for evan uh, for cody clark i'm evan eichen saying so long and we'll see you next week